Now, in the previous chapter here that we've been looking at, in fact, the whole first part of this book, right from chapters one to four, Paul's been really honing in on this issue that's been happening at the church of Corinth. And that was that people were divided. They were feuding over who they were following. They were propping up men in a place that they should not be doing so. They were looking to elevate men, but in so doing, they were also looking to elevate themselves in pride, thinking they've got the right person that they are following and aligning with. The rest of the people that were following different people, they had it wrong, and so divisions were being created. Strife was happening. Their party lines were being drawn, and Paul says, this is not the way it should be in church. We do not need to look to men in an unhealthy perspective. They're all given to us by God, is what Paul said. In fact, at the end of chapter three, starting verse 21, here's how Paul ended. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present, things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So Paul says, you don't need to Follow after different people when you have everything you need right there in Christ. You're of Christ. Christ is of God. You can't go any higher than that. You've got all you need. Stop looking at men as your source of pride and, and, and again, drawing division because of that. So Paul, for those first four chapters, every chapter he's had to deal with, you know, why are some of you saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paul's, I follow Peter. Why are you doing that? It's not helping in any way. We just need to look to Christ. And so Paul now looks in this chapter, chapter four, to give the church a better and healthier perspective of how we're to look at one another. He's gonna look at three things. He's gonna reveal how they are simply faithful stewards, how they are humble servants, and how they are spiritual parents. Verses one to five, faithful stewards. Verses six to 13, if you're taking notes, humble servants, and verses uh, 14 to 21, they're spiritual parents. This is the right way to look at one another. Let's look at that here, verse one of chapter four. Paul says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he says, I want you guys to have a right view, a healthy perspective of, of us. Let each person so consider us as what? People to lift up people to promote, people to go, oh man, I follow Paul. No, he says, as servants of Christ. Now, Paul, interestingly, whenever he would use that term servants, oftentimes translated as minister, because that's what a minister is. We've kind of elevated that term minister, but that term minister simply means a servant. Now, oftentimes when Paul would use this word servant, he would use the Greek word doulos, which spoke of a, a bond servant. There's special application and meaning behind that that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, a bond servant. But that's not the word that Paul uses here in verse one of chapter four. He uses the term uh, huperides, which means an under rower, an under rower. That's the idea of when you think about some of these you know, old movies you'd watch of maybe people traveling and those that were slaves, these slaves would be working in the belly of the boat, you know, doing all the rowing. They'd have somebody down there that's kind of beating the drum, keeping them all in order. They're all rowing together. If they're getting out of line, maybe they're cracking the whip on them. This is not the place you want it to be. 
but this is the place that some people found themselves as underworlders. We all would like to be, and this is maybe where people thought this is where Paul was putting himself. We'd all like to be up on the deck, right? Sitting in our lawn chair, basking in the sun with a little pina colada in our hand, right? Virgin, virgin pina colada in our hand, right? We'd all like to be up on the deck of the ship saying, oh man, what a beautiful cruise this is. And we're forgetting to think about those that are moving the ship. Paul says, I'm that person that's simply an under rower of Christ and for Christ. I'm just serving the Lord. I'm marching to the drumbeat of Jesus Christ. Wherever he has me, whatever he has me doing, that's what I wanna be faithful in. And this is what Paul is saying. A lot of people would rather march to a different drumbeat, march to their own drumbeat, say, no, I wanna call the shots. I wanna go where I wanna go. And yet what we find when we're marching to a different drumbeat, we often find ourselves just going in circles, never getting to where we really need to be. More importantly, never getting to where God would have us be, which is going to be the best place for us. And so Paul says, we're not looking to steer things ourselves, elevate ourselves, sitting on a vacation. We're simply under rowers serving the Lord. Not only did he say, are they servants under rowers, but he says we're stewards of the mysteries of God. That steward is the Greek word oikonomos, where we kind of get our word economy. It, it means that it's the manager of a household. Manager of a household. Joseph was a oikonomos. He was a steward in Potiphar's house, managing the things there. Yet Joseph was still a servant. That's what he was, a servant. Um, Clark says this, the steward was the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of the family, providing food for the household, seeing it served out at proper times and seasons and in proper quantities. He received all the cash, expended what was necessary for the support of the family and kept exact accounts for which he was obliged at certain times to lay before the master. So understand, stewards were themselves slaves, but they were looked at by other slaves as a master because they're the ones that were organizing and overseeing the affairs of the household. Even though other slaves saw them as a master, that steward understood, I have a master and I'm simply a servant unto them. And though Paul might have been commissioned and called to serve and to lead in certain ways, he understood, I have a master that I'm simply wanting to follow and obey. I am just a servant, just an under rower. And here's what Paul saw, what was important in his life. Verse two says this, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's it. As a steward, Paul knew that there was really only one thing required of him and that was faithfulness. Faithfulness to follow what God has called him to do. Not being worried about what others are doing, but being faithful. And that's what God determines as, you know, we oftentimes think of, I've got to do a really good job for God to be happy with what I do. I've got to be very successful for God to be happy with what I do. God doesn't measure success the way that we measure success. He measures success based on, have you been faithful simply with what God's called you to do? And that's gonna look very different than what some might do. We don't have to match up, compete with, or compare against other people because other people might be called to do something different and in a different way. And God's equipped them differently than he might equip us. What God is looking to as a measure of success is simply, have you been faithful? 
And I'm so thankful for that because that means I don't have to look to do something greater than what I'm called to do in order to be rewarded. God just rewards based on faithfulness. I think sometimes I get this view sometimes, you know, of heaven. Walking into heaven, how great it's gonna be. And I see Jesus, you know, down the distance and he starts coming my way, arms open wide. And I'm like, Jesus, that's so good. And he just kind of runs by me, pushes me out of the way. He's like, Billy Graham, good to see you. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Billy Graham, of course, I'll just, you know, wait over here. I'll just get in line and see you, Jesus, maybe when you're free, you know. I think sometimes like, oh, he's going to elevate and look to people that have done such great things. And no doubt there are people that have done great things. But God isn't looking at you to do the same thing other people are. He's looking at you just to fulfill what he's equipped you in and called you to do. And the measure of that success is faithfulness. That's all that's required in stewards is that one be found faithful. Have we been faithful in what the Lord has called us to do? Don't look at others and go, oh, that looks really good. That looks like that person's really got a lot going for him. Maybe I should do that. No, ask God, what do you have me to do? What are you calling me? How, how to serve you, Lord? I wanna be faithful in that. Jesus says in Luke 12, um, let me see if I can find this here. Luke 12, verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blesses that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. That's it. Is our master gonna find us doing, faithful, continuing on in that which he's called us to do? Are we giving up? Are we packing it in? Are we saying, well, I don't know if this is really working for me. It's not about if it's working for you. It's about being faithful to carry out what God's called you to do. Will he find you so doing when he comes again? And that's all he's looking for. Faithfulness. Not going, what? This is all you've got to give now out of this? This is all you've done? No. He's looking just for faithfulness. Will he find us doing so when he comes? And so there were those in the church that were judging one another based on what they're doing, maybe some of their gifting, some of the ways that they're, they're looking at others going, oh yeah, that guy right there, he's so good, he's so awesome, right? But Paul says here in verse three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Do you hear Paul's like, I'm not putting a lot of stock in how other people view me and look to me. He wasn't concerned about their judgment against him. He says, I'm not worried about those things. That's a great place to be. Even though people were coming against him, questioning his apostleship, uh, kind of questioning his integrity, whether he was really gonna show up or not. Paul had a lot of things that were working against him, people that were against him, yet he says, Man, I don't consider it a very big thing. It's a very small thing to think about how you guys judge me and what you think of me. Paul wasn't concerned about that. Paul was simply concerned with what the Lord thought of him and with the Lord's judgment that was coming towards him. That's all Paul wanted to concern himself with. He says there, I don't even judge myself for I know of nothing against myself. What Paul is saying is that Man, you could look at my life, and I don't think there's a lot that you really have to go against me. I mean, Paul lived his life in a way where, remember in Philippians 
3, he gives this credential sheet of his life. How he's a, a Pharisee, a, a, a Jew, like all these things. But he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he says, I was blameless. That's a pretty big statement to make. But Paul could look at those things on an outward level and go, man, if you line me up with the law, you don't have a lot to go against me to say, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. Paul could say, I've done those things. Check, check, check. Up against the law, I'm blameless. You don't have a lot to come against me in. But Paul says, I understand that's not what is going to be the thing that's gonna hold me. He goes, he says, I'm not justified by this. You catch that there? He says, these things don't justify me in verse four. I'm not looking to the law to make me righteous. I'm looking simply to be righteous in and through Christ and to walk faithful and obedient to him because there's gonna come a day where I'm gonna answer to him and he's gonna evaluate all those things. He's gonna look at the heart and the motives behind everything. He says in verse five, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes because he will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. See, there's a time coming when all things will be judged and judged accurately and righteously, perfectly. So don't try doing that job today in and of yourself. It only belongs to the Lord. Judgment belongs to him and we must wait his timing in that. Because our judgment is very flawed, isn't it? We can look at one another as the people in Corinth were doing and they're elevating people going, oh, look at how great they are. Look at how wonderful they are but their judgment is flawed. They don't know what's really going on internally. Our judgment is flawed, both for good and for bad. When, you know, uh, a good 90% of you started coming to church, I looked at a number of you and I thought, these guys are gonna be trouble. This is not gonna be good for the church. And you know what? I was like uh, about like 45% wrong on that. Like I really didn't have it <laughs> correct. I realized my judgment is flawed. Which is why, you know, the Bible says, right? Man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And this is what Paul says here, that God's gonna bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or the motives of the heart is what it means here. The Lord's gonna bring all those things to light. We need to be careful that we're not judging, we're not looking at people, or in what the Corinthians were doing, propping others up in an unhealthy way with a wrong perspective on these people rather than looking to Christ. Paul says, don't judge. Don't look in an unhealthy way these things, both to the negative or to the positive. Look to the Lord and trust the Lord to reveal all these things in his right time. And how can we be ready for that day? I think by being in the word of God and allowing the word of God to take its effect in our lives. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and a joint marrow. And notice this, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, when we allow the word of God to begin to work through us, it begins to reveal things for us that maybe we're not catching that we're holding on to that aren't healthy, not of the Lord. Things that we thought maybe are, you know, good, but aren't, or things that we're missing that are good that we haven't applied to our lives. The word of God begins to work in us like that two-edged sword that 
pierces even between all these things, discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Oh, may we be aligning with the word of God, getting the word of God, aligning us with a right perspective, revealing the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So Paul has been revealing how their faithful stewards simply don't, why build them up, right? They're just faithful stewards, under rowers, just seeking to serve the Lord and bring honor to the Lord. But next he moves on in verse six here to talk about how they're, they're humble servants. So he says here in verse six, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So Paul's been speaking figuratively in a sense here to convey the roles that Apollos and he and, and other apostles have been carrying out. He says in chapter two, we're just farmers, right? We're one plants, one waters. We're farmers, we're under rowers in that ship, marching the drumbeat of Jesus, serving him. We're um, stewards, we're, we're managers of, this, of these great things that God has given us, these great mysteries of God. We're seeking to give out those truths to God. That's what Paul says, we're speaking in a figurative sense, but that's our role here now in these things. And Paul is wanting the church here to have a right biblical view of who they are. If you're gonna judge someone, may be done through that biblical standard, because we can become very judgmental when our standard is skewed, when we're not aligning ourselves with the word of God. And this Corinthian church was, was being puffed up with pride by choosing men to align with. And in so doing, they were using these unbiblical principles and they were cutting others down. So Paul asked them some questions here in verse seven. Three questions to get them kind of thinking about what they're doing. So he says in verse seven, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So first question, who makes you differ? Is it not Christ? You see, what Paul is saying here is that we're all different. God's made us different. This is not a great thing. In the creativity of God's design, he doesn't make us the same. Can you imagine if we were all the same, just cookie cutter people, we were all the same, we thought the same, same personalities. Wouldn't that be just boring and mundane and monotonous in life? That wouldn't be fun. Some of you are going, by your silence, I think you're thinking, actually, I wouldn't mind a bunch of me's running around. That actually would be okay. If everybody thought the same way I did, I think that'd be all right. No, it'd be very boring. You'd get tired of that very quickly. But you see, God makes us all different. And he uses us differently to carry out his work. In other words, when you see something different, you don't have to go, oh, what's the right person to follow here now? I better follow this person. This, this person seems much better than that person. I'm gonna follow this person. No, God works through each person. Who makes us different? It's Christ. Don't look at the differences as a negativity like that person. No, 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 you got the wrong person. No, we all are used to the Lord in unique ways. That's the amazing way that God works. It's amazing creativity and design of God. And then Paul says, second question, what do you have that you did not receive? You see, nobody can look at themselves and boast in themselves as though, well, you know what? God really chose YC when he chose me because I am just a natural born leader. I have these natural giftings. I was just born this way. I was ready, you know, just to be used of God, right? We can think that way or look at others and go, oh yeah, that guy's really got it all together. No, who made that that way? Who gave that person those gifts? God did. 
right? That's what Paul's saying. What do you have that you did not receive? None of those things are just innately within us where we can take the credit for ourselves. It's given to us by the Lord. You didn't have anything on your own. You received it from the Lord. So give him glory and praise for it. Give him the credit and the honor in that. So why do you boast? There's nothing. Paul's saying, there's nothing to boast in, in men, in what they have to offer. It's all contributed to and directly linked to the Lord. So again, may he get all the credit and the praise for it. And then Paul in verse eight, he just starts to have a little bit of fun with these people in Corinth here. He starts to write and understand this as we read through this. He's writing with a little bit of sanctified sarcasm. He's like, come on guys, can you just give your head a shake here? Get it together a little bit. He starts to have a little bit of fun here. You notice what he writes in verse eight. You, you guys, you're all already full. You're already rich. Oh, you have so much going for you, everybody. Oh, you have reigned as kings without us. You've done it all. You didn't need us. Oh, and Paul says, and indeed, I could wish that I indeed did reign, that we also might reign, or that you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Oh, that would be so lovely if we could just take part in all the blessings that you have. For I think that God, verse 9, has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. So Paul is stating something in how they've been kind of thinking. Like they've got it all together. They, they've got it all nailed down. We're rich, we're full, we got it all. We're reigning as kings, man, we've, we've got it going on. Paul says, oh, I'm so happy for you guys. I wish I could have just a taste of that myself. He's having a little bit of fun with them. But here's what Paul says, you don't have the right view and perspective. Here's how we're to see ourselves. And Paul begins to identify really how God has been working in them and through them. Paul says here, and I want you to catch this verse nine, I think that God has displayed us, right? The apostles last as men condemned to die. Now that would have brought a very vivid image to the people and his readers here. This would have been a very familiar thing to them because when a Roman general would go off to battle, when he would come back after fighting in, in, in war and hopefully coming back with great victory, they would hold a parade. It was called the Roman Triumph. And the general would be led into the city with people just cheering him on. And there'd be displayed all the trophies and victories and spoils of the war. Those that were captured, perhaps from another city, would be led at the back, chained. And they'd be led into the arena where they would fight for their life against wild animals. And it would be just a spectacle, just an arena full of people to watch these people that were condemned to die. Paul says, that's how we're ultimately living our life as we're serving the Lord. That's not the place that many of us would like to be or to want to find ourselves. We would in that parade, we would want to be up on the highest, grandest float, just waving to everybody, big smile on our face. Oh, this is great to look down on all you guys. Keep throwing, throwing your flowers here. Just waving, everything's great, everything's grand. We don't wanna be people in the last, chained, condemned to death. But that's what God ultimately has called us to. Paul says, that's how I'm living my life. Not looking to be hoisted up on a float to be praised, but as a man who's walking, 
with his life laid down to Christ. That's what Jesus has called us all to as believers. Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus calls us all to live a life where you are yielded, surrendered to the Lord to the point of laying your life down. To where it's not about you, it's about living for Christ. And as we've been seeing, as we've been going through this study, that's the place of greatest blessing, joy, and peace. When you are living life for yourself, marching to your own drumbeat, seeking to serve yourself, you're gonna find that not a lot of people are on board with that mission for everything to go and be centered around you. And a lot of people are living life that way where they wanna be the center of their life. And you're gonna quickly find that not everybody's on the same page as you. And people are gonna rub you the wrong way. They're gonna annoy you. They're gonna bother you. And you quickly find life to be very irritating. What's the matter with you guys? How come you're not making more, me more happy? You're gonna find not everybody's on, on board with that. And life is gonna be very irritable and bothersome if you're the center, if you're the focus, if it's all about you. Now Jesus says, man, the place of true freedom and blessing is when you're willing to die to yourself and live to something greater, and that's Jesus Christ, living for his praise and his glory. That's a place of joy and contentment and happiness because it's what we've been created for is to live to his praise and glory. So Paul says, oh man, we are put on display. Last, as men condemned to death, we've been made a spectacle to the world. That word spectacle is the Greek word theatron where we get our word theater. So Paul says, we're like living out this movie now for people to watch. We're, we're a spectacle for the world to look on and begin to see Jesus come into greater view. How so? By the way that we live for the glory of God and not for ourselves. By the way that we endure hardship and trial with joy, with peace, with, with victory, knowing that we have the hope of heaven no matter what happens in this world. This life is temporary. We're not living for this world. We're living for something far greater. And when the world watches on to see how we handle all these things, the world's amazed. What causes that person to tick? What causes this person to continue on with, with contentment and joy and peace when I'm just unraveling at the slightest of, uh, 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 of difficulty? What causes, so we get to be put on as a spectacle to again make much of Jesus. Not only to the world, both to men and to angels, Paul says. See, even angels are, are looking on. They're looking at what God is doing and they're all going, God, um, you're, gonna, you're gonna work through those people? You're gonna use those humans? Do you know how weak and frail and prone to disaster they are? Do you know what you're getting yourself into, God? You're gonna work through them? God's like, just, you just watch. Just watch and see what I'm gonna do in them and through them. Oh yeah, they're not gonna be perfect, but... I'm gonna use them to accomplish my purposes. And the angels are watching. We become a spectacle of theater to them. And the angels are watching going, oh my goodness, God, you're doing it. You're working through them. You're using them to carry out your purposes in this world. I never would have thought that was possible. Praise God. And both angels and men 
have opportunity to glorify God when they see that what is being accomplished in us and through us is beyond us. There's only one solution. It's Jesus. And he gets the glory for it. Paul says in verse 10, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. So in comparison to the the way the believers were behaving in Corinth, Paul and his colleagues, they were seen as fools. Not that they were foolish, but in comparison to what the Corinthians were living for, what Paul and the apostles were living for seemed foolish. It seems like, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through that? But again, it was the very wisdom of God. What the world calls foolish, God calls wise. What the world calls wise, God calls foolish. It's a whole different ball game when we serve the Lord. The church at Corinth failed to recognize that in Paul's weakness, ultimately lied his strength. Warren Wearsby says, strength that knows itself to be strength is actually weakness. But weakness that knows itself to be weakness becomes strength. When we realize that in us, we have nothing to boast in, nothing to rely on, nothing to be dependent in, it's all in the Lord, we begin to see Christ's strength be manifested in our weakness. That's what Paul was doing. Look at some of what was seen as weakness, and yet Paul goes, no, I'm using all this to the glory of God and to the blessing of others. He says in verse 11, to the present hour we both hunger and thirst. We're poorly clothed, we're beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We've been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Paul says, man, we've been through it all, but we use it all to bless others and to praise God. We turn it around for good. And Paul's able to do that as the Lord strengthens him, as he realizes God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul now, verse 14, moves from looking at how they're faithful stewards and humble servants to look at how they're actually spiritual parents coming alongside them to strengthen and equip them. So he says in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, though I've had some fun, kind of being sarcastic with you, just take it in stride. I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel, therefore I urge you, imitate me. So Paul's heart as a father now just shines through. He doesn't call them, you dirty little scoundrels. He says, my dear children. Paul has a real heart for them, a care for them. And he wants to see them growing in the things of the Lord. He goes, you might have many people that you can follow after, many people that will speak in your life, but you have very few fathers. You don't have many fathers. I have been a father to you in how I've begotten you through the gospel. I presented Jesus to you. I've seen you come to faith in Jesus Christ. We planted the church there. Paul says, I've been this father too, and I care for you. I want to see you continue on to grow in the things of Christ. So Paul says, imitate me. That's a pretty big thing to say, isn't it? That's a bold thing to say. How many of you would feel comfortable going to somebody saying, you know what? I want to see you really growing in Jesus. I want to see you continue to, to develop in this walk with the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Just do what I do. Follow me. How many of you would be like, yeah, you know what, uh, you need to grow in Christ, so uh, just stick to the word. Don't do everything I'm doing because I don't have it right all the time, man. I mess up. How many of us would be more inclined to say that? I know I would be, but Paul can say, imitate me. 
but not imitate Paul. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul knew that he was living faithfully and obediently to the Lord to where for somebody to follow Christ would be the same as doing what Paul's doing because Paul was following the Lord. Imitate me. Paul wants to see them growing, becoming, moving on, progressing from babes in Christ as he called them earlier, progressing from babes in Christ to becoming mature in Christ. He says in verse 17, for this reason I've sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. So Paul, in order to see them continue to grow, he's, he's sending Timothy to them. Timothy was a great blessing to Paul, but Paul's like, I'm sending Timothy to you because I want to see you continue to be fed and encouraged and equipped and growing in Christ. Timothy is gonna be a great help to you. And I myself wanna come to you and continue to pour into your lives if the Lord wills. It's always a good way to live life, isn't it? To say, if the Lord wills. We can be those, I know, that can put our plans down. We can order our lives in such a way that it leaves no room for the Lord to come in and redirect, to come in and change course when he needs to. Listen, there's nothing wrong with making plans and ordering things as long as we hold on to those plans very lightly and loosely. Say, Lord, if you need to interrupt this, if you need to change course anyway, have at it. Let me be flexible enough to say, my plans are not written in stone. I wanna follow you above all. And Paul was able to do that. James 4, verse 13 and 15, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Let us live our lives in a way where we allow the Lord to lead and interrupt Oh, make plans, but hold on to them lightly and allow the Lord to lead and direct you. Paul says now, verse 20 and 21 as we end, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? See, those who were in Corinth, they were big talkers. They loved to talk up the game, promote themselves, but they could never really back it up, could they? So Paul shows that the kingdom, and by kingdom, he's not speaking about the kingdom to come physically on this earth. He's speaking about Christ's rule in their heart. The kingdom of God is not a word, but it's in power. It's, it's seen through a changed life. That's what Jesus comes to do. No person could provide that. No other religion can do that. It's through Jesus Christ reigning and ruling your heart that brings transformation, regeneration, and it's a work not just in word, but in power. Jesus never said, by their words, you will know them. He says, by their fruit, you will know them. Christianity is about following Christ, taking action. Not talking the talk, but rather walking the walk. And Paul says, that's the walk we've been walking here. As faithful stewards, humble servants, spiritual parents, we've been wanting to align with Jesus Christ and follow him and faithfully serve him. This is where the church had gotten out of line. And now he's looking to come and bring that correction. If they receive it, well, Paul can come with just that spirit of love and gentleness. If not, he needs to come down 
with a little bit more sternness. Nobody likes the rod, but nobody needs the rod when they're walking obediently with what Christ has for us. When we're serving Him faithfully, we experience the gentleness and love of Christ. Oh, may that be what we're encountering in our lives with Christ. Paul's going to have to address some pretty strong things for them next chapter. We'll get into that next week here. So let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord, we thank you, God, that we've had this time to look at your word and to be taught and fed. And God, I pray that you would apply those things to our life now in our heart that we need to apply for us. It, it could be different things that have come out in the word that is hitting us personally. And I pray that by your spirit, you would take your word now and just plant that in our hearts that we might grow thereby, that we might be corrected if need be, and that we might all the more follow you faithfully and obediently as we live as under rowers, stewards, as we serve you and live these lives for your glory and praise.